Amen. Good morning. So, as my brother so eloquently uh, introduced me, my name is Dan McGann. I'm the pastor of the Well Church in Lovingston, Virginia. Um, very happy to be with you guys this morning. Our text this morning is in 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. It's a pretty um, common Bible story, the story of Naaman. Um, it is actually my favorite story in all of the Bible, my favorite uh, account. Um, it's a beautiful picture of seeing the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, and so we're going to get to see a beautiful picture of, of a transformed life. We're going to get to see a, uh, a very common picture of what takes place when someone becomes a believer. And, and I'd also like to see within this uh, some of the servants that play such a beautiful role in this story. How others um, play a role in someone's gospel transformation. And so let's read the story. We're going to read the entire text, verses 1 through 14, um, and then we'll come back and revisit it throughout. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to curse a man of his leper to cure a man of his leprosy only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me but when elijah the man of god heard that the king of israel had torn his clothes he sent to the king saying why have you torn your clothes let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in israel so naaman came to his with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of elijah's house and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Phaphar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share from your word this morning. I pray that uh, the beautiful picture of the gospel that you have shown me through your Holy Spirit's power, you will help me to convey to your children today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a really amazing story. To give you a little bit of understanding, Naaman is, by all means, probably at this time of this writing, the greatest soldier on the planet. Some versions say that he's the captain of the host of the king of Syria. The host of the king of Syria was the hundred best soldiers that the Syrian army had, and they protected the king. Naaman was their boss, so he was the boss of the best. He was probably the greatest warrior on the planet at the time. But, Scripture says, he was a leper. He was well-liked, he was well-thought-of, He was good at what he did. Many of us can probably think of someone like that right now. But the scripture says, but he was a leper. Naaman was a great guy, well thought of, did his job well, but he was a leper. In the Old Testament, anytime we see leprosy, that is a picture of sin. The the disease that affects our flesh is sin. And so the problem that Naaman has is despite the fact that he's well-liked, despite the fact that he's great at what he does, despite the fact that everyone around him thinks highly of him, he is still a sinner. Many of us can probably think of someone like that right now, someone we regard highly, someone in our community that we think the world of, that is a great person, a great lady, a great guy, but they still have a sin problem. And so we see this picture begin to develop. And what happens first in this story to point Naaman to to God, to healing, is a servant girl. Not just any little servant girl, but Scripture takes the time to let us know that she was taken captive from the land of Israel and forced to serve Naaman's wife. So here is a little girl who in all reasons And all understandings of human understanding should hate Naaman. She shouldn't want to see Naaman healed of his leprosy. This little girl was taken captive by his men, brought to serve in a foreign land, his wife. By all means, if this little girl was living in the flesh with a self-centered focus, she would care less whether Naaman had leprosy or not. She, in all actuality, in all human thinking, should want Naaman to have leprosy. She should want something bad to be happening to him. But this is a little girl who is a child of the king, who is a child of God, and who does not allow situation to determine her faith. Her situation had nothing to do with the character and nature of God. She saw the sin problem, And she knew what the solution was. And she took her life into her hands. Do you realize that if a slave was to speak to their master without being spoken to first, they could be killed. She took the initiative and went to Naaman's wife and said, I know where your husband can be healed. One, she's acknowledging that he's got leprosy. Probably something that wasn't super well known among the community. Secondly, she's risking her life 
in order to point someone else to the healing power of God. She risks her life in order that her enemy would come to the healing, through the healing power of God. This is amazing to me that this little girl would do that. And it's not because this little girl is so good. It's because she knows God is. And so she points her enemy to the healing power of God. Now, Naaman has the very same reaction that most people have when it comes to quote-unquote religion. He thinks it's going to cost him something. So he loads up gold and silver and clothing, which was a common gift to give. He brings ten changes of clothes. And he loads all of this up and brings with him a caravan of servants, slaves, also taken from the land of Israel. And we'll see this in a minute where that is significant. They send a letter to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel receives the letter. And rather than having the, the, the mind and, and, and the thought and the, and, the, and the character and nature of God on his mind, he's selfish. And he receives the letter and says, I can't do this. This king in Syria who has been coming in and out of our country, robbing us and stealing our people and taking our stuff, now he's trying to pick another fight with me by sending his main man here for me to heal. Well, I can't do that. You are right, king. You cannot. Only God can do that. And so the prophet reminds him, hey, what are you getting so upset about? It's not you that's going to do it anyway. It's God. Send him here so that he'll know there's a prophet. Meaning, so that he'll know that where God is. Let him come. Have him come because it's not you that does the healing. It's God that does the healing. King. And so the, the prophet Elisha reminds the king, let Naaman come. And much like the world, Naaman shows up at Elijah's front door with his big entourage, all of his servants, all of his gold, all of his silver, and he stands at the gate of Elijah's home, which was customary, and Elijah does something that is completely countercultural. He sends a servant out and gives him direction. Now, you have to understand the culture to know that when one head of something comes to visit another head of something, you don't send a servant. The two bosses meet face to face. But Elijah, again, not trying to say it's me doing the work, he's saying, this is God doing the work. I'm going to send my servant down and tell you what the message is. And here's the message. Go jump in the river seven times. Could you imagine being that servant who has to walk out through the gate of your home to the most powerful warrior on the planet at the time who has just traveled the distance from about here to New Jersey on foot with all of these servants and look that man in the face and say, go jump in the river. Now, Again, this is a servant who could lose his life. We've all heard the saying, 
don't cut the head off the messenger, right? There's a reason that there's that saying. Because the answer that Naaman could have given Elisha was to send that servant's head back to Elisha, and the answer would have been, no, you come out and see me. But that's not what happens. That servant survives, goes back in the house, and Naaman has a very common reaction to the gospel. When I became a believer, I grew up in church. I I came into church every Sunday. I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to church every Sunday. And she would yank me in and we'd sit two pews back on the left every Sunday morning. I grew up in church, but I never really met Jesus. You know why? It was too easy. That's too easy. You mean all I got to do? All I got to do is have faith in Christ. That's too easy. That's too easy. What about this? What about that? It was too easy for me. Naaman has the very common response. He says, wait a minute. I thought that that preacher was going to come out here and he was going to clap his hands and he was going to do this great big thing. He was going to, he was going to cure the leper. Why didn't he come out here and do that? He had a preconceived idea of what it was going to be and he was very disappointed when he didn't get it. And he said, oh man, that preacher has to come out and wave his hands over the place and we got to have this big thing. You're telling me all I got to do is go dip in a river seven times? My rivers in my country are much better than the rivers here in Israel. The Abana and the Fafar River, they're so much better. Why in the world do I have to dip myself in this dirty Jordan River? That makes no sense to me. And as he's getting ready to depart and leave, we see another servant in the story. Now keep in mind, all of these servants, with the exception of the one in Elijah's house, are captive from Israel, forced to serve their enemy, and they're going back to Syria. These men we're getting ready to to see here, they're getting ready to go back to Syria with Naaman after all of this. And these servants step forward, risking life again. Because remember, a servant does not speak to its master without being spoken to first. The servants step out and say, Naaman, he's telling you how to be healed. Why don't you just do it? He didn't tell you some great big thing to do. He just said, this is how you'll be healed. Just do it. They risked life and limb. They didn't try and change it. They didn't try and change the message any. They didn't try and alter it and say, when we get back to Syria, let's dip seven times in the Fafar River. They didn't say that. They risked their life, knowing the character and nature of God, the healing power of God. They risked their life to then say, sir, Just do the simple thing that he said do. And you'll be healed. That's what you're looking for is healing. And so Naaman goes and dips himself seven times in the river. And scripture says that his flesh became like that of a child. Like a baby. Like that little fellow right there. 
Now, remember, this is the most powerful, most rugged warrior on the planet. And they didn't fight with guns and body armor back then. They, they had body armor, but it wasn't bulletproof. It was swordproof. And he carried a sword and a shield and a spear. And he marched in the sun all day long. That guy's hands and skin, not to mention the leprosy that was riddling it, but his hands and skin alone had to been like football leather. And then when God healed him, his skin was perfect and pure and beautiful. You know, Scripture says that when we become a new creature, when we have faith in Christ and, and all things are made new, everything is made new. What a, what a beautiful picture we have here of the totalitarian, I mean, the, the, to, the, 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 the total picture, the total cleansing, the complete renewal that takes place when someone becomes a believer, when someone accepts the gift of salvation. And here we have Naaman, who his first impression was, it's going to cost me something. Now, if you continue to read, and because of our time today, we don't have time to continue and read the entire story. It's actually kind of sad a little bit because one of the servants in this story, if you continue to read, and I'll encourage you to continue to read from verse 15 on through the end, one of the servants in this story makes a very bad mistake. And he chases after Naaman and tries to get some things. Because Naaman in verse 15 says, hey, thanks for this. Here's all these gifts that I'm bringing to you. And Elijah said, uh-uh. Elijah wants him to know, it doesn't cost you anything. Healing costs you nothing. I'm not taking your gift. I'm not taking your gold. I'm not taking your silver. I'm not taking your clothes. Take that back with you. It doesn't cost you anything. And he leaves and heads back. Do you know who he took back with him? Those servants. Those servants who said, Sir, go jump in the river seven times and be clean. Those guys carried all that gold and silver and clothes back into captivity. You see, sometimes we probably have this idea that well, I did this great thing for God, so now my situation will change. Those servants, that little girl who first mentioned healing, she's still in captivity in Syria. That, those servants who risked losing their head at Naaman's sword, they're walking back to Syria right now. Back into captivity. Back into servanthood. After doing this, great thing for God. Our faith cannot be situational. Our faith cannot be situational. Here we find these servants in absolutely horrible conditions, and yet their heart is fixed on the character and healing power of God. And they don't see people as enemies. They see people with a sin problem. That little girl didn't see Naaman as her enemy. She saw him as a man with a problem. And she knew who could fix it. We live in a world right now where people are in darkness. And if we view them as an enemy, we will want bad things for them. But if we view them 
the way Christ views them. We'll see every person who does not call Christ Savior and God, we'll see them as lepers. And we know where they can find healing. If you're in, if you're in this room right now and you don't completely have the assured salvation of Christ, hear me, it is that simple. It is that simple. Naaman said it can't be that easy. My way's got to be better. My rivers are cleaner. My rivers are better. There's got to be a better way. Can't I do it this way instead? I traveled to Nicaragua. I do it three times a year. We do church planting down there. And I found myself in an airport in San Salvador, El Salvador. And I had my connecting flight was missed and I had a good four or five hours before I was heading back into, uh, heading into Nicaragua. And I found myself sitting at the gate with a fellow American. This very, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Americans will travel to Nicaragua during a particular season so that they can surf. Big, giant waves all along the coast. And he said, what brings you to Nicaragua? Uh, I said to him, what brings you to Nicaragua? And he said, oh man, surfing. And he just began to tell me more than I needed to know or cared to know about surfing. Wax and angles and all these different things. And I sat and I listened for 10, 15 minutes about everything surfing. I'm pretty knowledgeable about surfing right now. I just have to let you know. And as he ended, he then said, well, what brings you to Nicaragua? And I said, well, I'm coming to share the gospel and to help plant churches so that people in darkness can be in the light. And he said, oh. He had that look on his face like, I'm sorry I asked. And so I then began to share the gospel with him. And he said, man, you know what? I'm a really spiritual dude. I said, oh, really? He said, I just really view God as being on this mountain. And there's like tons of trails up the mountain to God. So like Buddha's on one trail and the Hindus are on one trail and Christians are on another trail. And I said, man, that's a pretty cool picture. What if I told you that God came off the mountain and you didn't have to go up the mountain to God, but that he put on flesh and came to you so that you didn't have to do any other work. And he was like, oh man, that's deep. I said, you know what? It's not my job to convince you of that. It's just my job to tell you that. The Holy Spirit will now convict you, probably for the remainder of your life until you surrender. But it's my job to tell you. And so Jesus put on flesh, and he came and he paid a price you couldn't pay. And you can't climb the mountain to God. That's impossible. The question here isn't, why is there only one way? The question is, why is there a way at all? Why would God make a way for wretched sinners to have fellowship with him? So the question never is, well, I don't like Christianity because they say they're the only way. The question really is, why is there a way at all? And we know the way, so we should tell others at risk of losing our heads. Now, here right now in America, in our comfortable society we're, we're we're not too concerned about that right now we can put a sign up we can advertise on the internet we can tell everybody we're here to worship jesus there's many of our brothers and sisters around the world that can't do that 
Not, not and actually have a service and worship the Lord together without being arrested or killed or murdered by others. Now, what is preventing us from having the faith that those servants had? Is it our situation? Are we maybe in a spot where we have been suffering for a long period of time? And the last thing I want to do is point someone to God. Because look at the mess I'm in. I don't think the servants had that mindset. I don't think they had that on their mind. They did not have their situation on their mind when they thought about the healing power of God. The character and nature of God was at the forefront of their mind. The situation they found themselves in was simply one that placed them where they needed to be in order to point others to him. I'll close with this story. A pastor friend in, Le- in Lebanon, traveling back and forth through a very contested area. He was a Christian who had a Bible study on a really far remote town where there was a group of Christians that were meeting. And he had to drive through a very heavy Muslim section. And as he drove through that town one day, he got kidnapped, taken at gunpoint, brought into a room, and they began to interrogate him, go through his stuff, take his money. And they saw they had a Bible, and they said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I have to go through here in order to get to the town that I'm teaching my Bible study in. And they said, don't you, don't you, aren't you mad at your God for letting him allow you to fall into our hands? What kind of God would let you get taken captive while you're trying to do his work? And the pastor looked at the captor and said, I think the question is, why did God allow you to fall into my hands today? And he shared the gospel with those two men. He said, you're going to let me go. And next week, I'm going to stop. You don't have to kidnap me. I'm going to bring you food. I'm going to bring you some money. And we're going to have coffee. And you're going to listen to what I have to say. You don't have to kidnap me. Just listen. And then I'll be on my way. And those two men accepted Christ, planted churches in Lebanon. Here's the deal. We cannot allow situation to dictate the level of faith that we have because the character and nature and healing power of God never changes. Our situations change. But God's healing power, God's presence, God's desire to be merciful and loving never changes. So I challenge us as believers, and I challenge you here today, if you have not fully accepted Christ as your Savior, that it is that simple. You may be thinking the same thing Naaman was thinking. It's just too easy. It was designed that way. Because trying to make right with a holy and righteous God is impossible for us. Jesus had to do the work for us because it was impossible for us to do it on our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of this picture, of this, of this actual account. This actually happened And now thousands of years later, we're talking about it right here in this beautiful little central Virginia town. 
and your power and your conviction and your presence is just as strongly felt right now as we talk about it as it was when this was taking place and you were transforming lives thousands of years ago. Lord, may we take the content of what you shared with us today and apply it to our lives. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters in this room right now, some who find themselves in difficult situations. I pray, Lord, that they lean into and remember and fall back into the glorious character and nature of who you are, that you are good, that you are pure, that you are righteous, that you are loving, and that your mercy endures forever. And Lord, may we continue, be it in good or bad times, to point others to the saving knowledge that is only found in Jesus Christ. Amen.